Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you guys today here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Glad that you're tuning in. Now, whether you're listening to this on one of your podcast platforms or now you found us here on YouTube, I'm so thankful that you have tuned in. And I just want you guys to know this is a new platform. If you if you are listening to this and you're not watching us on video or you have found us on video, this is something we're doing new. We haven't been really marketing and putting it out there as much. We we're just kind of testing it through, but a lot of you guys had been asking for quite some time if, in fact, we'd be able, uh, you know, to to find the the podcast on YouTube. Well, we've been giving it a shot as we as I've been jumping here in the Book of Acts. So hopefully, you'll be sharing that with your friends and your family and your church, and if you have a small group, whatever the case may be. But I'm just glad that you guys are joining me as we jump into Acts chapter three. So today is podcast 116. And this is our third installment as we're exploring through the book of Acts. And today is a powerful story. And as I was preparing for the podcast, it it made me think back, when was the first time when I really dove into this chapter? And I couldn't remember the specific time, but I do remember a few years back when I was asked to speak on prayer at a particular church, and I used Acts chapter 3. And it was during that time and a lot of the conversation that I had with the people at the church afterwards— um, about prayer and just the significance of it and seeing Peter have such bold faith and knowing, of course, the miracle that occurred when he had faith to heal this man and the lame man had faith to reach out and grab Peter's hand and stand up. And his legs, were told, were made straight. They were strengthened. And I just remember it just hit me. So as we dive into Acts chapter 3, one of the things, my friends, that I want you to consider, to be challenged, to be convicted, to be encouraged, and whatever the case may be, is your faith. I know when I talk to a lot of Christians, we wonder, do I have the faith that God, um, you know, desires for me to have? Do I really believe and trust in him? A lot of times we question miracles. We question things that are are happening today thinking, well, yeah, it happened in the Bible, but does it really happen today? And I want you with fresh eyes, with an open heart, as we read through Acts 3, not just take what Peter did to this man, but ask yourself in your life, Lord, what are some extraordinary things that you have called me to do? And you think, well, Jay, I'm just listening to this podcast. I'm not an apostle. Yes, I'm not either. But we all have our respected places. We have spiritual gifts that God has given us, but we all in faith believe in a mighty God, an almighty God who gives us the power. If you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you're studying God's word with me right now and you've been praying right now or you fell upon this podcast and you've been struggling saying, God, I want to be used by you. I want to see you moving in ways that um, I have up to this point believe that you're not. Whatever the case may be, I am thankful that you're here because I do believe as we jump into Acts chapter three that this is really going to give you a real perspective of what God did then and what God is still, not capable, but what he is still doing today. So if you have a Bible, you could turn on or turn to Acts chapter three. We're going to read the chapter and it's really broken in two different parts. The first part we're seeing verses one through 10 is this encountership that Jesus, that, that, excuse me, that Peter has with this crippled beggar when he's with John, when they go to pray at the temple. And then in verses 11 through 26, 
Peter goes into the temple with his healed man and a crowd assembles and he preaches the gospel. And there's a lot of similarities to the sermon that he gave in Acts chapter two, but we're going to kind of break down the Jewishness, why he presented his, his style of preaching the way that he did to the crowd that, that, that congregated around him that were inquiring how this man who was once lame for years is now healed and rejoicing and praising God in the temple. So let's jump to Acts chapter 3. Let me read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll break it down and see what it means in the context. Here it says, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and, and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as a one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. All right, so we see right off the bat that Peter and John, they were going to the temple, the Bible says, at the hour of prayer. So this is around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the ninth hour. Now, we have to understand that the apostles, remember, they remained in Jerusalem even after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when it came on the day of Pentecost. We see in Luke 24, 49, Acts 1, verse 4, and verse 8. And the reason being is because God did not call them to go back to Galilee, to just you know, start a little church there by the Sea of Galilee and go back to normal. They are to reach more Jews because God was going to use his chosen people, the people of Israel, to proclaim the gospel to the world. And it's going to start in Jerusalem. This is where all the activities took place. Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem. This is, of course, where the temple is. This is the holy city. So rightfully, this was a place where the apostles were to establish themselves and to present the gospel, just like we saw in Acts chapter 2, what Peter did. And now we see Peter and John, these two apostles, remember, they were part of the inner circle. These were key leaders that God used in the early church, Galatians 2 verse 9. And so they're going to the temple. Now remember, according to Psalm 55 verse 17, it was, it was customary for, for the Jews to pray three times a day. And so it's, it's cool to recognize, because I think a lot of times in the American church, we tend to rule out... Uh, Judaism still that was embedded into the disciples, not in the case of what we see in the book of Galatians when there was tension between what Peter was doing and Paul, what those were referring to as Judaizers, saying you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, etc., things like that, or stay away from defiled uh, animals. But what I mean is that as a Jew, just like Jesus lived out the law and practiced it, they're still doing that. They're still participating and things as a, as a, and we would refer to them as a Messianic Jew today, but they're honoring God, the Lord, going to their daily prayers, but also an opportunity as they're going. And notice the boldness. We know that there was still a lot of skepticism and a lot of speculation and inquiry that was happening between the Romans and, of course, the Sanhedrin about what happened to Jesus's body. 
And after the day of Pentecost, obviously when 3,000 souls and they take the purification jars, right? And they're baptizing and putting them in water and, and people are coming to saving, saving faith. We know that this is stirring some things things up. And, and, and again, as Jewish people go to pray, they're anticipating that they're going to probably see some of Jesus' followers at the temple and use it as an opportunity to either arrest them, which we'll see later in Acts chapter 4. But the boldness of Peter and John going publicly to pray around this time, which was also significant because this coincided uh, in the evening offering is known as Tamid, and it was a sacrifice that they would give before sunset, before they'd go home. So this is the situation, and this layman, we're told, in verse 2, that means he was disabled in the lower limbs of his body, and, his, and we're told by Luke it was from his birth. And he he was laid here at the beautiful gate, and he, and he sees Peter and John before they go into the temple, and he asks them, to give him, him him some money. Now, again, we don't know who exactly led this man to the outer courts of the temple, but we know this was a routine act for him. So possibly his family did it because he needed to make money and maybe for his family, but people would faithfully put him out there. And, and it was, it's interesting where they placed him at beautiful gate. This is more, more than likely the Eastern side of the temple, also known as uh, Nicanor or the Corinthian gate. And this was a strategic ideal location to receive alms because you get a lot of the people that were Gentile that would be going into the court of the Gentiles as well into the women's court. So there was a lot of diversity that that uh, this this lame person had access to of, of a variety of different people. And so when he saw Peter and John in verse 3, like I said, he he's, he's wanting money. And it, what's amazing is in verses 4 uh, in, in verse 5, Luke uses some interesting words. Notice Peter, when he hears the voice of this man, it says that he directed his gaze. And the Greek, this is a significant word, he stared at this lame man intensely. Like when you're staring at something or, you, or you're looking at somebody and you're, and you're trying to remember, how do I know this person? Is that really this person? And it's kind of awkward maybe when you, when you get a glance and you see somebody just like locked in staring at you, kind of creepy. So, so Peter's doing this and not only that, but John's staring at this guy intensely. And notice it says, Peter and John say to this man, look at us. In the Greek, that means become aware of looking at us. Okay, so it's a direct order that they're giving. And notice in verse 5, he fixed his attention. In the Greek, it means he was ready for danger. So he's freaking out now because they're looking at him intensely. And then he gets scared. But it also carries the idea to hold fast. So he's not sure of what's happening but he's looking back at them, and but notice it says he was expecting. In the Greek, it means he was anticipating to receive something because they were so locked in on him. Because you think about when you see a homeless person sometimes, or somebody's begging for for money, you either you know grab your cell phone, pretend like you're on the phone or whatever, or you uh, you know pretend to ignore them that you don't you don't realize that they're there. You don't want to lock eyes and just stare at somebody, especially at a red light, and there's somebody with a sign that they need money or food. And you don't just be staring at them. You you look away, right? And 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 that's that's more or less what what typically this probably layman uh, had received from a lot of people. But in this case, these two men are staring right back at him, and then telling him to look at us, looking at you. So he's thinking, okay, well they're going to give me some money. But then notice in verse six, but Peter says, I have no silver or gold. So he's like, look, look at us. But I'm just going to tell you, I have no money. So you think, you know, it's like you roll down the window, you look at a homeless person, and say. Hey, I know you're wanting money. He's thinking you're rolling down the window to give him money. And then you just tell him, says, I just want to let you know that I have no money. 
that's kind of offensive. It's kind of rude, you know, to do something like that. And so maybe at this point, the guy's totally let down saying, okay, well, forget this. But at that moment when Peter says, I don't have money to give you, but what I do have, I give to you. And what does he say? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, remember, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 43, Luke had quickly recorded that the apostles had did many wonders and signs. He doesn't get descriptive of what those wonders and signs were, but guess what? It's along the lines of what Peter did with this layman and healing him. But you think, well, why does Luke give this account? Well, I believe for many reasons, and one in particular was because it was at the temple, because this man goes with him when he's healed and gives Peter an opportunity to preach the gospel inside the temple itself. Now, when they were doing these miracles and people were, again, coming to saving faith, it, it was an, it, it's an illustrative way of highlighting the Holy Spirit moving magnificently, powerfully through the apostles. And, and, and now we're recognizing something that's also unique is that this lame man, again, is physically lame, but also spiritually representing, you know, he's lame, he's, he's, he's in sin, he's dead to sin, he, he, he needs help, he's desperate. We see that with many people that Jesus encountered in the Gospels. But it also conveys here where Peter, he's looking at this man and this man's needing money and Peter's realizing, you know what? I don't have money either. But what I do have, which is far more important, I want to give to you if you're willing to receive it. See, that's what's so significant. Because I think oftentimes, my friends, that we look at somebody and think, well, I'm not as smart as they are. I'm not as gifted as they are. I don't have as much money as they do. I've never written a book or I've never done this or never done that or whatever the case may be. Nobody really knows me in the church. And so I can't really serve and nobody's going to really care. We, we think these things in our minds and when, in, when in fact God's saying, but do you trust me? Do you love me? Do you want to help? Do you want to trust me to use you to, you know, help these people? Instead of looking at what you lack, God is saying, I want you to see in the midst of you not having something, there's something that's far greater that you possess. And I love this because that's what we see with Peter. He realizes, look, I don't have a lot. My master didn't have a lot, but what I do have in his power, I want to give to you. And so what happens now is Peter gives him this healing and it, what's interesting is when you see this, just like when you see the healings of, of, of Jesus, it's like a transferring. So Peter, it's not like he's stored up in his body when the Holy Spirit came upon him that he is, you know, more or less giving out this power, but it's a transferring. The Holy Spirit through him transfers the, the healing power of God onto this man. There was not you know, relying on any tricks or, de or deception. There was no sorcery. Remember, that was really big. We'll see that in Acts chapter 8 with Simon the sorcerer. There was no ability within Peter as an apostle. Like I said, that he had this higher status to heal. No, he had to rely on the power of Jesus to do this healing. And it was him being a vessel, being set apart to do a great work for that power to be released from him onto this man. We see that in Acts chapter four as well in the book of Acts. And so 
I love this because in verse seven, when, when Peter says, look, I don't have what you're, what you're looking for, which is also great because it gives us insight that sometimes we're asking for something and we may think, wow, if I could just get a, a little bit of this kind of money and yet God has something far bigger. Remember Peter and John, they probably were not anticipating to bring healing. They're going as faithful you know, Jewish men who are now followers, you know, apostles of Jesus Christ to go into the temple to pray, to honor him. And, you know, yeah, if, if God's going to move, then we'll see what happens. Go minister, do some, you know, do various different things as they're kind of learning the trade, if you will. But God had something for Peter and God had something for this lame man. And I love this because Peter had to go to this man. We don't know how far he was when the man shouted out to him. But notice in verse seven, he took him by the right hand. So, so as Peter and John stared at this man, they walked to him. And as Peter's getting closer to him, he's saying, look, I don't have money. I want you to know that, but I have something far greater. And when he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up, rise up, meaning be healed. And as he's saying that, he's reaching his hand out. See, that's faith, my friends. A lot of times when we pray, we don't walk in that faith. And Peter's anticipating, as he tells him, you're healed in the name of Jesus, he's reaching out his hand saying, grab my hand because you're going to be healed if you just grab a hold of my hand. And we know, according to scripture, he does, and immediately he's healed. So this lame man, he received the command by Peter in faith, and he reached out to take a hold of his hand to stand up. Now, this phrase that his feet and ankles were made strong, Luke, again, the physician, he offers some detail of how this man regained his abilities to walk again. So literally, you're seeing them all crippled and mangled and they're straightened. They're just like in an instant. You can imagine the sight that that was for Peter and John, but particularly for this man, because we're told in verse eight, he's leaping up, he stands, he's walking and he enters the temple. He goes to the temple with Peter and John, walking and leaping and praising God. So the healed man proceeds straight into the temple area, jumping for joy. And this is significant because remember in Isaiah chapter 35 or six, this is prophetic because the prophet Isaiah says, when the messianic age comes, which is currently right now, as we're reading this in Acts chapter three, he says, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That's occurring right here, right now. And notice in verse nine, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and, notice, amazement at what had happened to him. So they knew that this man was healed. Notice what Wearsby writes. He writes, quote, Peter performed this miracle, not only to relieve the man's handicap and save his soul, but also to prove to the Jews that the Holy Spirit had come with promised blessings. Isaiah 35, verse 6 promises the Jews that Israel would enjoy such miracles when their Messiah was received. The man's conduct after the miracle shows how every Christian ought to act. He entered the temple in fellowship with God's servants and praised God. His walk was new and different, and he did not run from persecution. His was such a testimony that the officers had no explanation for what had happened." This is a significant healing, and this is why, in part, as I was mentioning earlier, Luke puts it here in his account. 
because it's so compelling because now notice, let's read verses 11 through 26 of Peter going into the temple with his healed man and preaching the gospel. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So, my friends, there is a lot here that we see once again from Acts chapter 2 now to Acts chapter 3, where Peter is presenting. It's, again, we would call it a sermon. He's giving a declarative speech to this audience. Now notice now as we kind of go back to verse 11 here and kind of break things down to get proper context to make sense of this uh, this encountership the the man who is healed here says that he's he's clinging to Peter and John now when i when you look at this he's probably intimidated he's overwhelmed by what had happened he's probably emotional by now remember he's jumping for joy they probably can't even keep track of it but now he's clinging to Peter and John And he's probably thanking them, but he's probably now intimidated by the crowd of people that are surrounding him. And they're astounded. And notice this took place called the area, the portico called Solomon's. This is the east side of the temple. Now, the side of the lame man that that was healed, he's now inside the, the temple walls, right? And people are inquiring about this. And what's so significant about this location that Luke, again, records for us is because this is the same place where Jesus taught about being the good shepherd in John 10, 23. And I love this because Jesus heals this man. He's a lost sheep. And God is using people like Peter and John to recognize that. So as Peter was delivering that, one day Peter will be staying there after healing somebody. And I just love that because this man is restored, not just physically, but spiritually. 
And this was also a section of the temple where commerce was happening, which obviously Jesus had a lot of issues with. And we knew uh, at this time, there was nothing could be done to heal this man in the commerce of the day. But yet through the powerful name of Jesus, he heals this man. But it was also a place of teaching where they would debate openly, which was very customary for Jewish people to do. And so there was a crowd of people that were already discussing these things and think about a lot of the discussion people are having because of the day of Pentecost and many people come to know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. And again, just 50 days prior to that, uh, before all that, that Jesus died on the cross and supposedly after three days rose from the dead. So Peter then addresses these people in verse 12 and he calls out to them. Now this this was this was a, a, a way when he refers to uh, them by saying, um, I, this was not based on my piety. This is significant. A lot of times you read it and think, okay, whatever, and you move on. But in, it was an ancient belief that many miracle workers had the power to heal because of their piety, because of their extreme holiness, which was kind of reflective of the prophets. So even though they, a lot of the Jewish people didn't believe the prophets were speaking today, that they existed, they still do believe that when people live such holy lives, that miraculously they were able to do things. And Peter right off the bat says, listen, don't go there. Don't think that there's something significant. Remember, that's going to be reflective of Barnabas and Paul down the road. When they they do miracles and people start worshiping them, they're like, no, not going to have that. And that's what Peter is telling them. Remember, when he gave the sermon on the day of Pentecost, one of the first things he lets them know is they're not drunk. This is in the morning time. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why they're able to speak the tongues, the fire of tongues that fell upon them. And so here he's giving clarification to let them know that this was not done by my own strength, but this was done by Jesus because he says in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So Peter here, when he then proceeds further into giving this address, he refers to God in the customary fashion within Jewish prayers. And he does this because he wants to connect the people to the truth of Jesus. And remember, why were they there in the first place? Because they're there to pray. So the way he's communicating them is very significant. And notice the, the next thing he says is he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has glorified his servant, Jesus. And now what he does is he's referencing Jesus of Nazareth who rose from the dead, apparently, right? Because a lot of the Jewish people are not aware of this. He refers to him as the suffering servant in Psalm 22, verse 1, which was a psalm that was quoted when Jesus was on the cross. Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13, all the way to chapter 53, verse 12. And he's saying, whom you delivered over. So what Peter is recalling is you guys denied. You guys had total disregard, like the religious leaders Many people right now in this crowd, you guys rejected Jesus and he was a suffering servant because he had to die for our sins. He had to atone for our sins, but yet you guys rejected that. Notice he says in verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one. So now he gives Jesus a messianic title showing he's the glorified one. So I'm not this extreme holy, you know, sorcerer, miracle worker. I'm just a humble servant who has no money. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. He's a resurrected savior. And he says, and you killed the author. This is in Greek. You, you've killed the prince of life. So again, he's reinforcing. You guys have heard that he was crucified, in which in fact he, he was, but he wasn't, he's not dead still. He's alive. And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He says, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. So Peter identifies 
now Jesus as the originator of life and he's and he's verifying that I am a witness of these things. So as you guys have just witnessed this healing, I've seen stuff like this take place for years. And this is also significant because in verse 16, when he says, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, you got to think back. One, Peter standing in an area where Jesus preached that he was a good shepherd. You also got to reflect in what Peter's thinking probably in his mind. And when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples in John 14, 12, and 13, he says, you will do even greater things. Now, again, as I talked about that in one of the podcasts before, that doesn't mean that they would do greater miracles. They would do more because they would have more time as they established the church than Jesus did. Jesus was very limited in his public ministry. That's what he meant by that. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, they would do great things. And again, Peter's speaking to that. He's saying, this is faith through Jesus that he has made this man in perfect health in the presence of you guys watching right now. But notice what he says in verse 17. He says, and now brothers, after he lays the whole thing out, he says, I know that you acted in ignorance. That means in Greek, reduce culpability as did also your, your rulers. So many in the crowd that Peter recognizes, and this is a great thing about Peter, he's sensitive to the people he's preaching to. He's not just condemning them. He, he doesn't use this healing and then get scared and say, no, we can't, we can't go public with this because they're looking for us right now. Let's get out of here. Just go back home and just tell, tell your family that Jesus healed you and, and be good to go. And, and for the most part, you think, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Instead, no, he makes a public spectacle of this. Again, not for his advantage, not to his advantage, not for his glory, but to draw people to Jesus. And the great thing is Peter says, look, I know there are many people listening to, to, to this right now, the sound of my voice. You're, you, you don't know who Jesus is is you 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 don't know whether or not he's the messiah and so a portion of peter's sermon here it's an act of mercy on the crowd's behalf and he says in verse 18 but what god foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his christ would suffer he thus fulfilled now this remark it encouraged the crowd then says look look to the scriptures you may not know but many of you guys you know the scriptures look to the scriptures and you will see Jesus is truly the long-awaited Messiah. And of course, we know that Luke provides great insight into the suffrage of the Messiah in his writings. And you go back to Luke chapter 24, verses 26 and 27, and verse 46, and Acts 17, verse 3, and Acts 26, 22 through 23. So he's saying, just look into the scriptures and you will see that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. So what does he tell them to do in verse 19? He says, repent, therefore. That's what you do. If this is in fact true, that Jesus is the righteous one, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he was a suffering servant, that all the prophets, remember he talks about that Moses and all the prophets spoke about, repent. Repenting meaning uh, let your sins be wiped away. Let them be erased, he says, so that, that their sins may be blotted out. He's saying if you repent first and you turn back to God, that will happen. You will be forgiven and your life will be restored back to God. Remember, the people of Israel, that's that's what it's all about. They're God's chosen people. They're forgiven by God. They're restored by God. And they anticipate as the Jewish people that God will restore all things back to himself. And what Peter's saying, though, is I have realized the fulfillment of that. It's already taken place. And many of you guys, as you're anticipating that, that has already happened. His name is Jesus. And the day will come, he says in verse 20, that times of refreshing will come in the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, the refreshing meaning, okay, Christ came, but he's going to come again. But right now you need to repent. 
Let your sins be forgiven, be restored, because you and I know the scriptures. You go back to Genesis 49, verse 10. You go back to Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 10. You go back to Joel chapter 3, verses 17 and 21. Again, it's all about restoration. That's why Peter tells them when he tells them to repent, right? So that their sins will be blotted and forgiven out. He says, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. All that is going to be fulfilled in Jesus, not just in his first advent, which was which partially fulfilled, but the day, the day will come when all things will be restored. Now, this phrase here, when he says restoring all things, the time, he says, will ultimately come when God will restore what his creation was originally. So he'll go back to that original state where we'll be made whole before God and God has already been acting. Remember Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation, God in the flesh, he was among us. And I love this because as he concludes this sermon, this address to the people inside the temple courts, he says, you remember what Moses said? That God will raise up a prophet just like him. That's Deuteronomy 18 verse 19. I love what the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible says, quote, Jesus's role as one who is both a prophet and more than a prophet is an important theme in in Luke's gospel. And you go throughout the book of Luke in Luke chapter 4, chapter 17, chapter 11, chapter 13, chapter 24. This is a theme. Jesus Christ is both a prophet and more than a prophet. He's the Messiah. And he's pointing people to that. That's why he says, every soul who does not listen to that prophet rejects God. So he says, if all the prophets spoke, Moses, nobody questioned Moses. Samuel was the first of the prophets. And you go back to the life of Samuel. And we know that Samuel being the first, he prophesied of great things to come in the kingdom. Remember, he anointed Saul. He anointed David. And you see in 1 Samuel 13, 14, 1 Samuel 15, 28, and eventually the millennial kingdom, the, the millennial reign of Christ in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 10 through 16. These were things that, that uh, Solomon had prophesied that would come and the offspring would come from that, that would bless the earth, meaning God would use the people of Israel. Coming salvation would come upon Israel and then Israel would use that uh, declarative truth to the world to restore mankind back to God, to go back to his original state. And then in, here in verse 26, he says, Peter says, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So this all took place because Jesus used Peter to heal this layman outside of the temple, brings him into the temple, draws a crowd of people, and there's a lot of ignorant Jews who just don't even know. And Peter preaches the gospel, and he's saying, look, Jesus, who is a Jew, he's, he's the Messiah. He came to Israel first. He's offered a salvation, and he wants you guys to be saved, for your sins to be blotted out. Just like it's happened in my life, just like it's happened in John's life, and just like it happened to this lame man who's now healed. And he wants to offer you forgiveness. You can search the scriptures and you can find them out for yourself. And many people are going to continue to come to Christ because of it. And so that's Acts chapter 3. And it all started because, again, Peter faithfully and in love 
walked over and spoke to this layman, reached out his hand, and in the name of Jesus, he healed him. And you think, well, what does that have to do with me today, Jason? A lot. As I said earlier in the podcast, preparing your heart for Acts chapter three, you see the significance. Now, you know what? If God wants you to have that kind of faith and he's given you the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to go out there and bring healing to some people, you need to trust him in that. God knows best, obviously. He's a perfect God. He makes no mistakes. There's no fault. There's no error. There's no going back when it comes to God because he doesn't make mistakes. If God has called you, my friend, to do something, you need to trust him. I love the obedience of Peter and John. And notice it took place as they're faithfully going out to pray. And so as we go out, my friends, may we be a ministry to people. Remember, we are Jesus to people in the flesh. We are to walk and live as he as he walked and lived. And when we proclaim his name, we go forth to make disciples in the powerful name of Jesus. So I pray that you're doing that. But also, as you do look to pray, like as I gather every morning, early in the morning, and I get my cup of coffee and I got my Bible, my study stuff out, and I got my prayer journal out, I don't want to just get into this rut and this routine. I want to every day ask for a a refreshing of the Holy Spirit, right? A refreshment. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal himself in in, in ways that I've never maybe experienced because of sin, lack of faith, or lack of passion. But as I pray and as you pray, let's anticipate God using us to do great things. Sometimes we have our our plan of the day, our schedule of the day, but, but there's God moments in that. Sometimes we're anticipating it. And let's continue to pray in faith that God will do greater things than we're even anticipating. But there's a lot of times, my friends, in our lives where we're just going through life and we're not expecting for God to use us, use us in, in, in any way. And I hope as you looked at Acts chapter three with me today, that you will have a different, uh, different opinion on that, that you'll look at things differently, that you have a different perspective, that you'll be convicted and you'll be excited as you wait for God to do great things in your life. So as you live your life, I pray you'll continue to stand strong. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening to this podcast. And until next time, keep staying strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.